Hey everyone, welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. So a couple weeks ago, Joanne and I released a podcast episode called The Art of Code Switching with Melanie Calhoun. So for those of you that did not listen to that episode, I encourage you, go ahead, listen to it now. But for those of you who did listen to the episode, you know that Melanie is a diversity and inclusion consultant for corporate America. So in that episode, we spoke about some very, very real things and we got some good feedback from you guys. So what do we do? Of course, we interviewed Melanie again, but this time Joanne actually interviewed her for a Facebook live episode. So the clip that you are about to hear is actually from a Facebook live. So if the audio quality is not that good, that's the reason why. Additionally, Matt, do you guys remember Matt from season two of our podcast? Matt is a marriage and family therapist and a mental health expert. So Melanie, Joanne, and Matt all sit down on Zoom on Facebook now for a live podcast session recording on all issues related to diversity, equity, inclusion, racism, and mental health. So this is one episode that you don't want to miss out. And if you guys are wondering, I'm not on this episode. I actually couldn't make it. So Joanne holds it down. I hope you guys enjoy. Happy listening. Okay. If you guys hear little ones, both Melanie and I have little ones. So, you know, it happened. We're home. Uh-huh. You're going to hear them. <laughs> that's, that's what's going to happen. So welcome everyone. You guys are live with Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. If you are new to our platform, hi, welcome. If you are an OG and you've been with us since the beginning, welcome back. Um, we have two great ex- experts here with us tonight. Um, Kim had to work, so she is not able to join us um, in our discussions tonight. But we do have Melanie Calhoun, a mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion expert. And later on, we're going to have Matthew Jean, who is a mental health therapist. And um, he'll be joining on a little bit later. So if you guys have not listened to our season one, episode three, um, released yesterday, The Art of Code Switching with Melanie Calhoun, who's here with us tonight, (laughs) go ahead. And once we're done with this live, just go and listen to it because people are loving it. And, you know, we've only released it. Um, it's been like a day since we've released it, but it is booming. People are loving the subject and they're learning, loving to learn about um, code switching, which is what the topic we discussed on the episode was about. And it's so crazy because Kim and I, you know, we recorded this with Melanie, like what? I don't know. Was it, it was February, a while ago. March? I feel like it was a while ago. It was, it was a while ago and then COVID-19 hit and we're like, okay, we can't release this now because the world is crazy. But it's just crazier right. that the topic <laughs> that we recorded months ago is even more relevant now today than it was months ago. It's just crazy to me that that's happening. But here we are and, you know, we're going to talk about it. So um, last week, I'm not sure if you remember this, Melanie, there was a movement that was called Amplify Melanated Voices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was where our allies 
um, amplified our voices, those who are um, social media influencers or whatnot. So they kind of muted themselves and amplified us um, to get like, you know, more people to know who we are um, because we are minorities out in this here <clears throat> America, United States of America. So everyone um, was all for supporting us last week. And we in a black community, you know, we were standing in solidarity with each other, like trying to support each other because these are tough times. Like everybody's mental state, people are overwhelmed, they're anxious. Mm -hmm. um, so we were standing in solidarity with each other, but there's been so much more um, that we, we, we can do. Like this was not just a one week thing. There's so much more to fight, to add to the fight. And we want to continue that discussion tonight. So I'm going to let Melanie let us know about herself again, because she did go over all of that, an episode um, that was released yesterday, but I'm gonna let her go into it a little bit on why she is the expert that she is in diversity and inclusion. And I also want you to let us know, what did you think about this Amplify Melanated Voices that occurred last week? Whew. Yeah, so my story, I'm going to give you like the the 15 second uh, review of my life. And it's that I'm a black woman, right? We have a story to tell. Um, I grew up in an area that was predominantly white. From there, I went to FAMU, which was heaven. And then from there, I moved to Minneapolis. And I have a funny police story about how they treated me. Uh, mm. From there, I moved to Memphis which is like probably one of the most segregated cities in 2020. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Atlanta, which you hear is Wakanda or, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> and then I moved to the Bay. Um, so I've moved around a lot and I worked in, um, I got my start, I, I, and I got my MBA and I started working in medical devices and med tech. And if you're familiar with that industry, there's not really a lot of diversity, especially in leadership. So one of my first uh, jobs, I worked in the spine and like spinal implant industry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even most of the doctors were like former football players and they were all like middle-aged white men. It's very strange. Like each, each pocket of the country that I moved to had a very different demographic but none of them were black, right? <laughs> right. So Minneapolis was a very different demographic, but then I moved to the Bay. I lived in San Jose mm -hmm. and there was, you know, majority white and Asian and Indian and 2% black. So I've moved into a lot of these areas and each of these areas with my jobs have had very um, challenging from a microaggression standpoint or from a race young black woman standpoint trying to work my way up to corporate america there was one company i worked in which was um you know a really large company but i was the most senior black woman in the marketing department and i wasn't a vp right so when i think about some of the stories that i had throughout my life um, and why it's great that we have a mental health expert dealing with constant microaggressions and feeling like as a black woman, you have to go in there and be two times, 10 times better right. and, and still get paid less, get less, volunteer for projects just to show that, you know, I'm 
down for the team and try to get all this visibility and you're working yourself into the ground. And I got to a place of where I was like, you know, what? I can't do this anymore because I'm physically ill. And around that same time, I read a book um, by my mentor, uh, Rudy Mendoza Denton called, Are We Born Racist? Mm. And it was like, there was a section, he, he was, edit, he edited the book. And so throughout the book, there's different stories of people. And there was one in particular, that was a story about from a, a black American in corporate America. And I was reading like a page out of my diary. It was so similar to some of the challenges and the feelings that I had. And it was like, oh, so at the time, you know, you hear microaggressions, you hear these buzzwords, right. and this is over the last 15 years, but you don't really, I think when I was in it, I didn't really know really mm -hmm. what was going on. It was just like, yes, they're going to try to touch my hair just because that's the territory of a black <laughs> woman with natural hair, right? but not realizing that that environment constantly having to feel less than because they treated me less than right. got me to a place where I was physically ill and I quit. I, I started a program at Berkeley. Um, and um, from there I worked, you know, in a psychology lab as a research assistant and, you know, worked on studies where they were looking at how our bodies physiologically react to racism or to mm -hmm. presenting an all white audience. And if you're a, a black student, and have a group project or presenting to a room of 500 people and all of them are white and what mm -hmm. getting feedback from a white mentor would be like. And so these are some of the studies that I was working with. And from there, I was like, this is fun. This is what I love to do because it actually is starting to make sense about some of the things that I was going through in my life. Right. And I built relationships. And then from there, I was able to start this consultancy practice because so many people, I had so much personal experience with um, even different organizations and how it felt being like the only black person or the only mm -hmm. woman or the youngest right. or the only person that wasn't married without kids. Like I was always the only one of something. The only something, right. Right. So I, you know, I just started, you know, I took classes. I started working with organizations who I was familiar with and when word of mouth kind of spread. And so right now my phone is ringing off of the hook. Right now, I am. I, it's everybody who is trying to show up or is doing things because they know that there's pressure now or ringing my right. phone. Uh, and so, what I do is I'll do assessments. I work um, with a, a firm called Yardstick Management, and we are oh. a, basically a DEI consultancy firm. We go, we have clients all the way from Fortune 500 major tech companies to small independent schools that are trying to figure out this diversity challenge that they have. Right. So that's kind of my journey as a nutshell. I think being a black woman in different environments and having throughout different levels of my career, similar challenges. Um, I think even one of the stories that I've told is like, you know, I moved to a new school in second grade and they immediately put me in remedial or like special education class. <laughs> Not no testing me, just I showed up right. black and that's where they put me. And it really, you know, as an adult, I was like, it makes me so angry. And I understand why my parents who were both college educated were up at the school, like my daughter can read, what are you right. talking about? And so I think because I had parents who were very in tuned with um, being treated unfairly, my dad grew up in mm -hmm. Charleston, South Carolina. Um, 
and was born in the 40s. And so he had his coming of age during the civil rights movement. And my mom grew up in Michigan, but she grew up super outside of Detroit in the country, super poor. And so when you think about the stories of my parents and how they've given me kind of this fight, I, um, mm -hmm. I just, I'm here and I'm here to fight. I'm telling you everybody, if you're black and if you're struggling right now, showing up to work every day, the only thing I got for you is be honest. Tell the truth. Now's the time to be bold right. and say. And we're going to get into that because okay. I have a lot of questions <laughs> okay. about that kind of, you know, situation because being in professional settings as a black person is not the same thing as being in professional setting as a white person. Mm -hmm. So before we even get into that, I, you know, today I was watching this video on Facebook from this nurse who's in anesthesiologist or anesthesist, I think she said, and she was talking about oppression. So she was basically saying, um, talking about all the microaggressions that she has experienced while being at work as a nurse. Um, and, you know, he wasn't able to basically um, be herself and be fully herself because people would, you know, say something if the tone of her voice was a certain way, they'd say that she would, she was aggressive or um, basically she was, she had to code switch, which is what our topic was mm -hmm. on the episode that we released yesterday. And, you know, she even talked about like being um, basically mistaken for the um, janitor or the cleaning lady and whatnot, because they just automatically assumed that's who she was. She couldn't be anything else. And, you know, she was talking about, you know, how um, back to normal was not like going back to normal will never be a thing because going back to normal is going back to us being oppressed and feeling oppressed. And we don't want to be back there. And it just brings me back to all the experiences I've had of being seen as lesser than. And, um, you know, in school, how one of my professors was like, um, you know, you don't have to be a registered dietitian. Like she was basically dissuading me to becoming a registered dietitian. And that kind of stuck with me because I was, you know, our, our field as um, dietitians, nutrition um, and dietetics is, you know, we are the minority. We're like 2.3, 2.6% of the field. And so being in school, I was the only black girl in my class. So you telling me or dissuading me from becoming a registered dietitian that stuck with me like is she trying to say I'm not good enough like I can't do it should I just quit now I mean it just stuck with what's me. her name I'll call her I'm, not gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready listen I'm ready I'm fighting right now <laughs> we're I'm calling people on their stuff uh, I know and the thing is that we need to start calling folks out we really do at the time of its occurrence like we need yes. to call it out but and it's, not it's like, I've been holding this in my being for years now. And it has stuck with me because it bothered me that mm -hmm. she singled me out. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, you know, she publicly, um, you know, rejoices or talks well about the other dietitian to, dietitians to be that were white. But for me, she singled me out alone and told me this. And I'm thinking to myself, is she telling anybody else this? You know, so it stuck with me um, being the minority, you know, in that um, program. So mm -hmm. I know you have many a story. Oh, for sure. 
here with us. <laughs> and we all do. So I, I understand think how real this is. So, and it's funny because I even got in a, um, not a, I, I, I opted out of the conversation, but I have a phenomenal teacher from high school and she is one of my very, very, very favorite professors because I was telling my husband, I said, throughout my whole education, K-12, I don't think there was anyone who tried to tell accurate history except for this one teacher. I'm talking about kindergarten, all of the stories we heard about Christopher Columbus and all the way up to when I get to 12th grade and I take this class from uh, Deb Kennedy called Changing America. And I actually am gonna send her, I hope she's watching. Deb Kennedy is the only teacher that I had that was trying to radically tell honest history about mm -hmm. this country and this history. Like, I feel like we watched Glory in her class. Like, I feel really? like we watched her. I, we watched, I know we watched the Kennedy Zapruder like film. Like we just watched all of the real history, anything that there was mm -hmm. um, conspiracy around. And, you know, we're friends on Facebook and it's just, it's so strange because I've created a little bubble of safety for me of people who see my humanity, see my dignity. Like I've right. most of the people on my Facebook that were blatantly overtly racist, but maybe I was the one that like snuck through because you know we we went to high school together. Right. And you speak I, well. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> oh but she's not like them. So like I, the whole tokenism, right. exceptionalism, like I'm not somebody that's different than my whole crew, my whole family, right. anybody. Right. So I think this story that is told about Black people um, is just so inaccurate. And so when you get into somebody who is trying to educate the masses, even if it's just your Facebook friends, and you're trying to tell the truth about, okay, I can say Black Lives Matter, and it's because of this. And then you've got a whole thread of people saying, but wait why like did you look right. at black on black crime you know race right. is just a construct that was made up like and it's just like i'm the black person in the room right and i'm like what do i do do i do i jump in and try to inform people who are clearly ignorant and who have not tried to educate themselves and then i kind of sat back and i watched you know other white people going in like evidence here's why black on black crime is a racist comment and then you know like so I'm watching them kind of duke it out. And I was like, you know what? It's not my place. This is them. Let them figure it out. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm no longer here to try to be the teacher. Now, I am a diversity and inclusion expert, consultant. My phone is ringing off of the hook. And so I definitely think there's a time and a place for education, but you have to be a willing student. Mm -hmm. So I don't try to teach people who don't really want to learn something. And I also don't try to teach people for free. Someone called me and asked me if I would do a talk on diversity for free. And it's like, in this day and age, actually, not only do you need to pay me my worth, my phone is right. the demand is hot right, right now for what I do. Right. And I, it's just to say somebody wanted me to do a talk for marketing or for visibility when you know there's a need, I like I'm still stuck. I right. like yes, I have a number that you have to pay. And it's and people don't know really what to do. 
Right. I don't know if I answered your question. I think I got off on a tangent. No, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I'm just angry. You're, you're teaching us. <laughs> We're learning everything. You know, I, I see questions coming here. So I don't okay. know one of the questions here. Somebody asks, how can you be bold without getting fired? Oh, okay. Okay. Here's the thing. And mind you, I was in corporate America and I played the game and I did certain things. Um, and now I'm on the other side of it. I'm the one that they bring in after there's a lawsuit and black employees mass exodus and they're trying to figure it out what happened. So like, I see it from both sides. I see it from the company trying to figure it out. And I see it from uh -huh. the side of the, the oppressed person who's been in that environment. And so when you're in this space in 2020 in June with what's going on right now, I challenge you to be honest and I, and I, would ask that you try to, I mean, yes, it's passionate, but try to be as, as pragmatic and logical and not to say not emotional because there sure should be passion, but make a list of demands and get, um, if you don't have a mentor, if, the, if you don't know the most senior black person in the company, I mean, that was me, right? So mm -hmm. find mm -hmm. you an ally or two or three who you make your list of demands and send it to the highest ranking people at the company that you have a relationship with. And I say that taking that approach with actionable items, there's always somebody, oh yeah, we, we hired a diversity and inclusion, you know, we have a chief diversity officer. So right. <laughs> it falls under them, but then it's like, okay, the chief diversity officer doesn't have any type of meaningful budget. You don't, there's no metrics of other company, you know, managers having to adhere to, there's no, policy written around trying to make sure that they have equitable interview processes or where they're even recruiting. What do your suppliers look like? And so if you need some help, I get it. You don't want to get fired. And so that's why I'm asking you to take the emotion. I know it's hard. Keep it's the hard. passion, but take like, I'm an angry black woman, but you know what? Mm -hmm. They're paying me to come in and teach them what they're doing wrong. And so right. I'm from a very, like, I'm for a tell everything. I also know what it's like being in that position of speaking up, being the only one to constantly, constantly raise my hand. I tell a story about how I worked at an organization where there, were, there was one black sales rep out of 300 sales reps. And I was at the sales meeting and I was, you know, I'm, I'm a black marketing executive and he's a black sales. I see him in the crowd and I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to right, black right. man. And like, right. we, had, we were like in this, like having a little moment to each other, like, Hey, like, what are you a sales? No, I'm not a sales rep. We had our little moment. Cause it was, we were the only two in there and the light kind of shines on us. And it's like, uh Oh, what happened? He gets called up to the stage in front of all of the sales organization. And it's like, what, what, what? And they said that he was now entered into a dance contest. So you mean to tell me out of everybody in here, he's having a side conversation. He didn't raise his hand saying, let me go up there and dance. They picked the one black man in the room and told him to get on the stage and dance. And I found that extremely problematic. It's like, and I was like, oh man, he was, he didn't know what was going on. So he was up there. So it's like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, right? So I was like, oh, I would have hated to be in his position because he had know. to dance, right? But it's just so yucky and demeaning and so stereotypical. Like, right. of course the black, black man, man can't know dance. how to dance. 
So of course, I, before, like we had a little break, as soon as the break was over, I walked up to the most senior human resources professional. And I said, you know what? I find that extremely problematic. And I think, I think I even said shuck and jive. Like this is when I'm still the most senior black person in the marketing organization, not in the company. Um, but it was still like, oh man, I don't know if there's gonna be retaliation. I don't know if they're gonna take what I'm saying. And they basically were like, oh no, he was having fun. Like they right. dismissed it. Initially they dismissed it. And then I put it in writing and sent it an email. Like I was like, it's completely unacceptable. And I knew she kind of like brushed it off. And so during that little break, I wrote out an email and I expressed kind of like, you know, here's the reasons why this is wrong. And so they actually had a part two of Dan con dance contest and they canceled it. This so it was real time. I'm seeing stuff happen real time. And they were like, oh, well, we, you know, of course we didn't mean it that way. I was like, yeah, that's fine that you didn't mean it that way. But then it was thing after thing after thing that kept happening in that organization to the point where I left. Um, but it was, I kept raising my hand and I didn't get fired. No, they didn't fire me. I wasn't in any They were too so afraid to, they couldn't. Cause they're I, like, I, the I girl, was doing my job. Girl I was doing, you know, my, my job was fine. I was doing a good job. It was just so many little racial incidences happen where they constantly call me the wrong name. No, there's only, there's three black women on our floor. I am the most senior one in marketing. And you're calling me the lady that works in customer service. That's five, two, I'm five, nine. She had a little short crop. I think I might have at the time I had like a little Afro puff, right? So like we didn't look any, there's no mistaking that we looked nothing alike. And it was, I was constantly called her name. And when I said something to that, I reported it again to the HR department and they were like, well, you know, if people are calling you the wrong name, then you need to do a better job of them getting to know you. And so I like, when I tell you, I raised my hand every time and I got to the point of where, yes, I'm going to document, document, document. Right. And you don't want to leave your job, but you need to be looking for a job and def definitely don't resign. And we could talk about the strategies around if you want to hit me up on my inbox. I'm happy to share right. strategies around separating from companies that are toxic. Right. And that's what I'll both say about that. So do you think people are really ready for inclusion? Like, are they really this, this, it's the hot topic. It's trending. Do you think people are ready or are they just are saying you know it and they're not really ready to implement I think that they're not ready to implement they are saying it but they're getting called like if you call them out on it they have to act so like everybody that put out a statement their company said oh we stand with black lives and they went they put up the black screen on Instagram right. last Tuesday I would challenge to take their words when I tell you to go with them with your demands and use their words with your demands. You said right. you stand with the black community right. and that you believe it. So here's why I suggest that you give a donation to the Equal Justice Initiative because it's a community organization that's helping to help combat racism in the criminal justice system. And that like, so take their words, copy paste them in your demands and give it back mm -hmm. to them with actionable items. Um, it doesn't matter how low you are at the company or how you are at the company, but don't if you if you have to do it by yourself, that's fine. But get a crew. If there's somebody in the legal department, if there's a lawyer, if there's a somebody in the accounting department, have a little huddle. They have a little black affinity group. You know, they already have something set up for y'all. Have a huddle and make some demands because right now is the time that they're shook. <laughs> they're getting right. called out. You're seeing companies fire employees because of racist 
people on, right. that share things on Twitter. So now's the time yeah. people are redoing things because they're, they don't know what to do, but they know they don't want to get sued. And they also know that mm -hmm. the world is looking. So I challenge right. anybody today, today is your time. Like now is the uprising. <laughs> Let me not say right. that. It is the uprising, but right. Get a crew and get some demands and be specific and passionate. But yeah, I like, so yeah. Is, is there a way for us in a black community to be all, you know, black power and black lives matter while not being seen as, all black power if that makes any sense or should we even care like should we even care what people think and just be us unapologetic us and of course we're professional i can be professional and still be my life matter black lives matter and black power to me and whatnot should we even care anymore? i i think that you have to do what you're comfortable with right when i was in the thick of it and i was early on in my career and I had come from a program, mind you, I love FAMU and it was heaven. And I went through the MBA program there and it was all of these things that prepared me for corporate America. They gave me the tools to survive in corporate America mm -hmm. in the current construct, right? They, they right. gave it to me for, this is how you play the game, but it wasn't, this is how you turn the table. This was, it wasn't like, here's how you, you know, shake things up for real. It was like, here's how you conform. And so as I started going through this process of wanting to conform to these standards and having, and you have this whole imposter syndrome, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's just this mm -hmm. idea that I don't deserve to be here and you're telling yourself that and you actually right. don't believe you deserve to be here because they may say something. Um, I know I felt a lot of, um, I felt a lot of weight because I went to an HBCU and, you know, people were like, what, what, famu, famu, what, what is that? <laughs> and they weren't familiar with my school. And then, you know, you have people from Harvard and Penn and, well, you know, Wharton, oh, you know, they, and I know they were getting paid more than me. It was all just because they have more experience than you. You know, you only had two years and they had, you know, five years. So they have all of these things, right? It was like, they had me feeling like walking in the door, I was already less than. And I started, uh -huh. it's, you start to internalize that, that feeling. And it wasn't until I got to a level in my career where I was like, these people not smarter than me, but yet mm -hmm. they're getting things. And so I started demanding more. Okay, well, I needed to get more money, right? I, I find it problematic that, and of course I didn't say it like that. I say, here are the things, here are the projects that I've been working on. And I know that it's not raised time, but I would like to talk about the compensation to make sure that it's matching what the industry standards are, right? Mm -hmm. Let's have a conversation. And there's an approach that you can take so that you're not like angry black woman or angry mm -hmm. black man. But now I think we're in this unique place because they want your black number when they have to report it out. Right. You know, to the, you diverse. Sephora now putting 15% of their shelf space for black and uh, brown companies for their products. So you have companies that are trying to step up to the challenge. You've got companies who have zero board members that are black, zero, c-suite executives that are brag black and now they're looking for people they can groom so that they don't have to look so bad mm -hmm. so whether or not they're really ready and embracing it i don't think that they realize it was happening i don't think that it affected them until now like i don't think that they're having a completely white male board 
bothered them because it was a bunch of white males sitting around the room that didn't really care. Um, I think now that people are starting to challenge um, what, you know, okay, that's great. You put up your black uh, Tuesday, put up your picture of your board, put up your, your picture of the members of your C-suite. And it's like, oh, okay, well, wait a minute. So when you start challenging and you start pushing back, this is the time to do it. There's a, a Instagram, there's a woman who um, I would challenge you all to go to Instagram right now and go to the Great Unlearn. And the, the great woman, unlearn. Rachel Cargill. Um, my son just walked in here. Hold You're on. fine. Okay, <laughs> he's four. Um, the Great Unlearn. And basically, even on this Instagram page, she has templates right now. Like I told you, make your list of demands and how to get change in your organization. She's got templates, a template mm -hmm. for holding your local school district accountable for racial justice, a template Ooh. for holding your academic institution accountable for racial justice. Mm -hmm. Go to this website and they have, I mean, she literally is out here, scroll, 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 find what your organization is and go get the template and start reading through some of the words and language you should use when you're having these conversations with senior managers and these lists of demands. And um, yeah, hold on one second. I see the little one. Guys, I see your questions. And we are gonna get them answered. Melanie's at home just like we all are and the little one's interrupting. It happens all the time. <laughs> I'm back. I'm sorry. I had to lock you. I was like, I didn't lock the door. I'm in the office. I didn't lock the door. So I, here we are. I, I know the feeling. Um, <laughs> Someone asked, so should we not be cold switching anymore? Should we just be, like I said before, just unapologetically us? I'm going to be honest and I'm a very, I'm in a very unique position because I'm on, I'm trying to help companies be more inclusive, right? So if it is that you feel like you have to code twist, I would challenge you to do one thing. If it is push, if it's one thing that's like, you know what, I always have to feel like I'm on, 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 on. If it's, you know what, in this climate with everything that's going on, I'm gonna take a personal day because I am tired. And I would express to your manager with all of this racial trauma and the fact that I feel like I can't even be myself at work, I just need a minute to regroup. Mm -hmm. And something, they're, they're like, oh, okay. And then that starts peeling back. Then, then you start having the conversations and maybe you'll begin to feel more comfortable. Um, I, don't, I don't think that I code switch anymore because you're gonna get this, whatever it is, but it's, it, I have to be honest because I'm in this position, they're looking for it. And I'm, I'm working on behalf of the people inside the organizations who don't have a voice. And so one of the things that I do professionally as, as I start working with these companies is I was like, give me, give me a list of all your people of color. I wanna do an interview with them or give me a list of all your diverse, whatever you consider diversity. How about, let's define what you can, you have something on your website. Let's define what you consider diversity. Right. And let's really look at the populations in your organization. It could be, you know, how many black women and men do you have and what their levels are and give me their contact information. And I'm just gonna call a few of them at my choice. And you know, I'll, you, if you want, I'll give you the list of the people that I've selected so you can give them a heads up that I'm gonna be calling. 
and I'm going to ask and capture their stories. And a lot of times, because I'm from a third party, I'm, I'm an outsider, you get the truth more so than, because I'm like, oh, it's anonymous. You don't, you know, I don't have, I'm not going to go back and give them your name. I'm going to put a report together that has 40 people's stories. Right. And so by collecting their stories and presenting it back to them, they're now I'm working inside the organization on behalf of the people who are oppressed and discriminated against and the minorities. And so I feel like if your organization really truly cares about black people, you as an employee, then they will listen mm -hmm. or at least try. It might be a lot of learning curve, but they're going to at least try. And if they're not willing to try, you need to ask yourself, you need to look in the mirror like I did after I raised my hand seven, eight times, whether or not that was the battle I wanted to fight or is it, do I take my talents do I want to, to be another friend? organization or do right. I step out on my own? Because I, everybody doesn't have the ability to do that. And I understand everybody doesn't have the choices and flexibility, but if, if something happened to you today, they will replace you in a second and you have to have second, that attitude that okay. your loyalty to them is not reciprocated. Nope, not at all. Matthew's here. <laughs> Hi, Matt. Hello. I am so sorry for being late. I was on a previous uh, live with the, with the local reverend here that was doing something for his church members. And of course, you know, church members like, you know, they, they can talk. So the questions kept going and I'm sorry. So I'm late. For that is fine. So we are still talking about diversity and inclusion yes. and we are going to get in with Matt here, who is a licensed mental health expert. And we are basically going through the times right now. So we need both of these people here today to help us. So Melanie, you know, we were talking with Melanie, Matt, in regards to diversity and inclusion. We got some questions. If you have your phone open so you can see the people asking questions so oh, that you guys are able to, to answer the questions that are being asked of us. So Melanie, you know, I saw a meme going around um, Facebook and the meme was basically saying like to my white friends, I see your silence and it's deafening. So how do you deal with white counterpart parts during these times who are apathetic and not really verbalizing because some of them don't care, but those, I guess, who do care, that's who I want to address, who do care, but don't really know how to, you know, um, approach the situation of diversity and inclusion or what to say, what would you say to them, Melanie? Uh, so the thing about the allies and the people who care and it's, it's also hard because right now we're tired, right? And we don't really want to teach and we don't want to necessarily, um, at least those that are speaking up. Now, the ones that are silent, I just have, a, I have resolved that there is enough information out here in this world that if you really wanted to know, you could find out your answer. There's Google, there's, there's books, there's, and if you, if you're like, Hey, you know what I want to, if, if you ask me for a book, I'll give you a list of books. You could Google it, but I'll give you one if you, you know what I'm, but that's the, about the extent I'm going to do right. with the one-on-one, -on -one. but there's YouTube videos. If you, okay, well, Google racial disparities in healthcare or Google why black women are dying in childbirth or Google, like there's so much information out here. Uh, Google why certain zip codes are seeing a high level of foreclosure and there's no food in those, no fresh food in the earth. Look right. at food deserts, look at and see, I, I can point you in the direction, um, but the, for the people who are silent, I'm gonna assume you're racist. 
Sorry, that's I am it. too. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm gonna assume you're in agreement with everything that's going on because you may not know what to say. <laughs> I understand that, but at least show me some kind of solidarity. Like I'm praying. I don't know what to do. You don't have to even ask for an answer. This is the thing. If you're not actively anti-racist, I'm going to assume that you're either complacent or racist. Right. With, or, you know. So if you're complacent with racism. Right. then you're a racist. So if you're actively anti-racist, then we can rock. Right. If you're not, then I put you in this bucket. I know what to do. Yes, I'll interact with you. Yes, I'll be your colleague. But I also understand that one of my favorite old colleagues at one of my jobs, he was a sales rep. I absolutely adore him. He's still on my Facebook. I don't, I don't go, I have too many Facebook friends to actually scroll through. He popped up in my feed one day and I was like, oh, he wanted him. Okay. And so it's kind of like mental note, delete, and you're really not my friend. Because if you can't see my humanity, or if you're posting things, posting Larry Elder and posting quotes from Morgan Freeman and posting things that are basically anti-Black, Candace Owens, anti-Black, Black people as you're posting, why are you that don't have any black friends except for me posting, this is what black people are saying. When well, right. you you ask me. Right. So I've decided that if you are not actively anti-racist, I got no time for you. Right. Unless you're like, I need to learn. Okay, well, here's a book. Here's a YouTube link. Go find out. If you have some questions, you may come back to me or ask, you know, uh, anybody that's black that you trust uh -huh. that is, that is, passionate in this space, right? Because not all Black people are going to be as amenable or not all Black people are going to have the same views. There's a lot of, there's a huge political spectrum. Black people are all not the same, but racism affects us all. Right. Matt, I want you to introduce yourself before, yourself before I ask you a diversity question in regards to mental health. So I want people to know who you are. Matt has been on the Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne podcast twice before um, last season. And we discussed the connection between diet and mental health. That was season two, episode four, if you want to go like at that or listen to that. And season two, episode 11, we discussed surviving social distancing with your kids, like mentally during these times. So Matt, go and, you know, to your background a little bit so people can know who you are um, as a licensed therapist. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me, Melanie. Nice to uh, connect with you on this platform. Uh, I'm sorry I missed out a lot of the conversation, so I don't have full context of everything that was said. So if I repeat something that Melanie uh, have already stated, I apologize for that. That's fine. I'm Matthew Jean. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been in the field for about 11 years now, four years in private practice where I specialize in black male issues, entertainment and sports. So that means I see athletes and entertainers. I also work with couples. I also work with individuals. So I do a lot. I do it all. <laughs> Uh, I also have a business that's called Sober Words, which I'm wearing the gear right now. It's a uh, it's a apparel company that fights stigma associated with substance abuse and mental health. Before I came into my private practice, I worked in the substance abuse industry for about six years in a variety of different capacities, from a clinical social worker to a family therapist to a group therapist to you name it. So uh, I, I really, really have an affinity towards that population because I had a chance to understand them in a different way. And so I wanted to make sure that after I left uh, working in that field that I still didn't 
part ways with them and still find ways to advocate to create access to services and to fight the stigma associated with substance abuse and mental health. So hence sober words. Um, what else? I don't know what else I can say. You have so much. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. Your background. I'm currently, I'm currently working on a documentary about black men and uh, mental health issues. I had a friend uh, that ended his life by suicide in 2011. Mm -hmm. And it took a while for me to be in a good space that I, that I needed to be in to address this holistically. And now that I am in that good space, I felt that it was time to create, um, um, you know, some conversation on a national scale on what we can do better so that history won't repeat itself. Mm -hmm. And the way history don't repeat itself is for us to know our history and tell our stories. Our stories need to be told to make sure that we're not uh, the only individuals that are dealing with these things, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideations, isn't just specific to one population. It's specific to all of us, especially right. the black community based on a lot of the things that we've been dealing with. Anxiety right. based on COVID-19, social isolation, which causes um, ebbs and flows and our normal states of beings, meaning because we're not uh, used to being distanced from each other and what distancing does to uh, a people who's used to being in a collective, used to being in a village, used to being in fellowship with each other, that does something to us. It causes us not to feel normal. And that connectivity, if you take that away from us, is going to put us in different mental and emotional states, which, which mm -hmm. will eventually impact our behaviors and long-term interaction with each other. Right. And so we have to make sure we address these issues on a greater scale. So now that I'm in a way better space, uh, I felt that it was time for me to address it. And so I'll be doing that through the documentary uh, that was finally named. We actually had a vote with all the participants who will be on that documentary. It will be entitled Strong But Silently Broken, referring mm. uh, to the Black men and the mental health conditions that we have ignored to cause us to feel uh, isolated and eventually sometimes even take our own lives as a result right. of where we are mentally and emotionally. Well, we can't hear for, wait for that to come out because that topic right there is so important, especially in the black community. It's taboo to talk about um, mental health issues and people are literally dying inside and literally dying because of these mental health um, situations and issues that we're dealing with in our lives, but we have to be the strong person and whatnot. Um, Melanie, Matt went to FAMU, so I don't know if you guys may have crossed paths and didn't know back in the day, but I think it was during the same time that you were um, at FAM that Matt was up in Tallahassee. I'm probably older. Um, I'm probably much older. You know, people, people always assume that I'm so young. I appreciate it. not. <laughs> but I, I, I came, I went to, I started at FAMU in 99. Okay, I was there in 98. There you go. So, <laughs> See? See, there you go. Yeah, there, so, yeah, yeah. I was there on campus. What was that? I said I was there on campus, but I, I was very, uh, you know, very introverted. In fact, when I was at FAMU, uh, I didn't know this then, but I suffered from a lot of anxiety and depression, you know, mm -hmm. and so it caused me to isolate myself. You would only see me in my classes, in the music lab and band practice. I would never go out. I wouldn't, you know, hang out on the set or anything like that. It was just too much for me to handle. And so, you know, right. learning about that later, I have to you know address my issues in counseling. 
but it did cause me not to really be around a lot of people because I was dealing mm-hmm. with anxiety and depression at that and time. You didn't have a name for it, as most of us in the okay. Black community didn't. Like, yeah. I didn't have a name for it. Name for it was anger, because that's what it looked like. It just looked <laughs> like I was an angry guy with this, you know, look on my face, but it was just me trying to manage all of the emotions that was going on internally. Right. So as we're talking about diversity and inclusion and racial tension um, and dealing with mental health issues during this racial climate, I want to ask you, Matt, um, for someone who is at work um, in a professional setting or even outside of a professional setting, but is dealing with micro uh, microaggressions um, and racism, how do we how can we mentally cope with these um, type of different and it's not anecdotal. People may think it's like here and there it happens, but it happens all the time. So how, how can you we deal and cope with this without being seen as the angry black person? Wow, that's a, you know, I, I love this topic because as a black man in America, growing up in South Florida, having a, a, an opportunity to live outside of Florida, travel to other countries, you see it almost everywhere you go. You know, the slight aggressions, meaning uh, the shift in behaviors and postures and looks, you know, that we get, you know, when we're around, it doesn't matter what we're wearing, it doesn't matter who we're with, doesn't matter what setting it is. It's just an uneasiness that people have. When I say people, I mean people that don't have brown and black skin that they have when they see us. And that expression, when they see us, has been coined based on what happened to the um, Central Park Five. I think they did a documentary on that called When They See Us. And Mm -hmm. I want to utilize that expression just for a second. So when they see us, they don't see themselves, right? And in context, that makes sense. If you go back to ancient civilization, when individuals were in tribes, you know, it was important to see something similar across from you to be able to feel that you can have community or fellowship with them. Otherwise, that person would be automatic threat to you. So mm-hmm. you would have anxiety and would want to confront that person because your safety and the survival of your tribe or your village or your community was based on that interaction. So when you see a person that doesn't look or doesn't seem like they prescribe with the system of belief that you have automatically in that era, it made sense. But in this modern era, We still have not worked that out yet. So when they see us, they still can't see us as something that's familiar to them, right? I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about what's been going on, uh, you know, with the, you know, the civil unrest that we have in our society today, um, in our communities today with the protesting, with the the police brutality. Um, Think about when we understand our own culture, when we understand our own history, how it empowers us, how it makes us feel. To know that I am of Haitian descent, to -hmm. know that my country of origin was the first Black Republic in in the Western Hemisphere gives me great pride. And it does something to me. That's my history. That's my lineage. And I feel pride knowing that that's my history. Now take that other side, take the other side of the coin where a person that doesn't look like myself, what is their history? What are the things that make them feel proud? What are mm-hmm. the things that make them feel connected to their past? Mm-hmm. Honestly, their past was full, or has been full of terrorism, of violence, right? Mm-hmm. Towards people that look like you and I. Right. So when they see us dying in the streets, 
sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, sometimes they feel that pride because that's their story. Right. So they're seeing it way differently than we're seeing it. That's their, that's that's my country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. That's right. their song that they can sing that means something totally different to them right. to see the brown or black person lose their life in front of them. Remember, they would go to church and then have a lynching for lunch, right? And so in, in the history of how they think and how they connect to what's going on in, in modern day and in, in, in our day and age, it's a different perspective. So my understanding of it doesn't, doesn't allow me to feel as offended by them thinking and seeing us that way because I understand what they are connected to, right? right? The pictures they have in their garage, in their home that was passed down from generations, you know? You can look at uh, um, postcards that have lynching on them, right? Uh, in invitations that invited people, come on down to the noontime, you know, right? That's lynching. their history. So it makes sense why they would be desensitized to viewing those things and they would have a different visceral reaction than we're having. Because mm -hmm. when we see that, we see ourselves as that person that's suffering. Right. We see that could be us, our brother, our kids, our sister, our mom, our nephews. And so it causes us to feel something. They can't feel that. Right. They're not connected to it. Genetically, they're not connected to it. Historically, they're not connected to it the same way we are. So they're going to have a different reaction. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to excuse it. I'm saying it for us to understand right. what we need to do to not be subjugated to the same, uh, to the same oppressive mentality that how they see us is how we see ourselves. That needs to shift. And so although the microaggressions, the overt aggressions may still be there, I don't allow them to impact me or have control over me because I know my history is greater than where they started to interact with me, you know? Mm -hmm. My history doesn't start in slavery. My history goes way before that into great civilizations and understanding that frees me from how someone else will view me and label me and interact with me. So if they can't see my worth, doesn't mean that I can't see my worth. If they can't see the worth in my brother or my sister, then that doesn't mean that I shouldn't see my worth. In fact, it makes me want to see our value even more. Right. Because there's a gift in how we exchange with each other just in our day-to-day our, our -day interactions. And we're right. good at this, right? right? Two black people could be complete strangers. They see each other, they be like, I see you, sis, I see right. you, you know? Automatically, good times, right? Dopamine, serotonin, neuropinephrine, all these healthy hormones are pumping into our system just because we connect with each other right. on a deeper level. And mm -hmm. that's a gift that we have. You know, brothers, we do it too. And we do this almost all the time in different settings, right? We do it, you know, the guys do it on more extreme settings, right? When it's just two brothers in a room, uh -huh. that's when we kind of see each other, right? When, when it's more than one, then we just act like, ah, uh, is anything. But we need to exchange, we need to change and reframe how we interact with each other to make sure that we can exchange so all of us will be empowered everywhere we go. One of the phrases that I, I, I wanted to make sure that I embody for myself and my sphere of influence is everywhere there's a black man, there's a black face, I should be okay. Mm. That's it. You know, right. everyone is a black man, as a black face, my sisters, my brothers, my kids, my wife, they should be okay. Right. And if we agree to that statement, then there is nowhere we can't go without being safe. Right. Because we have each other. There's right. a power in the exchange that we have 
when there's just two of us, right? right. Oh, shoot. We about to, you know, right? Right. We I know, I know my husband and I, you know, we love to travel and even within Georgia, abroad. And right. if we see like another black person, like we're right. just speaking in Georgia, we see another Already. black person, you just give them that look like, I see you. I like, see you, right? I mean, and you're you the only ones it. here. But it feels good to see that other person. Right. And that, that automatic connection is something that's deeper than just surface. That goes to back to when the village was truly the village, when we had a mentality that no one was left wanting because if I had it, my brother had it. And if my brother had it, my neighbor had it. If my neighbor had it, we had it. And I think mm -hmm. getting back to that allow us to feel empowered in any state. You know, it doesn't matter what they see or how they interact with us. It will never remove the power of understanding who we are holistically. Right. So Melanie, I, I'm, you know, I don't want to hold you if you need to go, but I, I want to ask you some more, just one more question at the very least. Mm -hmm. I want to know, what would you say to our allies who are trying to find out themselves, like what, what are the next steps I should take to support um, the Black community and, um, you know, stand in solidarity with us? Mm, okay, so there's, I would say a few things. One is continue to learn, keep looking and reading books about white fragility, about, you know, white uh, assimilation into schools. And like, as you're going into integrating schools, is what a, there's a white podcast called Integrating Schools, where if you have children and you are in a, in, a, in a city area, what do you do with your kids? Like keep looking for more information and teach each other. I will mm -hmm. also challenge you to give your money to causes that help black people. There are a million opportunities to walk for breast cancer, for MS. And I'm not saying not to do those because those are very, 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 they affect our community as well. Right. But step out. If you have an extra organization that you would like to donate to, donate to a black one that is serving the black community and helping us. Um, I would also say that if you're an ally and you see something happen to somebody, step in because right. there's too many white people walking around and they see and they know something is wrong and they don't step up and step right. in. Um, we can't fight it by ourselves. We also cannot convince other people to see the humanity in us. So right. you have to demand it. And also would challenge you to remove, if you've tried to teach and you've tried to teach your racist relatives, friends, Mm -hmm. You have to also make a decision. I've had to, I've lost friends. I had no problems cutting people out of my life because they don't value me. So you have to make a choice. There's too many racist people walking around here. Welcome at Thanksgiving. And so it's right. your job to make them no longer welcome because of their views. They have to feel something because if they always can go home and they, oh, well, that's just, you know, uncle so-and-so, you know, he's just that way. Because what's going to happen is he's teaching his kids, even if you, you know, something has to feel pain. And if he feels no pain and there's no consequences to his beliefs and he can spout things off without losing something that he holds dear, like a family member or she holds dear, a job, you know, anything. If you, if you lose something, you'll feel something. So you, they may have to lose you as their, their friend, their relative, cut them out. Right. You know, if you, if you've tried to teach them and you know that, they cannot be taught. You do your best, but you also have to learn when to let it go 
And so I think, and, you know, a, it's unfortunate, um, as you're saying, like for, you know, if they see something to speak up for us, the few of my white friends who have contacted me during this time to find out if I'm okay, or what can they do? I've told them, unfortunately, your voice is more powerful than mine. And you're going to have to speak up or back me up when I do speak up. Um, you know, I remember a story I read about this lady who was talking about like her husband went to the gas station to do gas and um, some white lady called the po police on her and said, he is the robber that some, you know, they've been looking for or whatnot. And the guy's like, no, nah, I just got here doing gas. You know, I'm not the person you're looking for. I came from this direction. You know, they asked him what direction he came in. He went on and on with the police officer. It wasn't until another white man came and said, he's telling the truth. He did come from that direction. And you guys are saying that this robber went in this other direction. And that's when the police decided to listen to this mm -hmm. man who has been, I don't know for how many, you know, how long trying to speak up for himself, but his words weren't heard. But when the white person came and spoke up, they listened, you know, it's unfortunate, but there, you know, the, your voices are more powerful than ours in these kind of situations. I agree with that wholeheartedly. If you see something, say something and don't accept it. Like it is so true that their voices right now, because white people as you know, good intention as well intention. If they can't see our humanity, if they can't see us and feel us, like Matt said, if they, if they, if it's just, they physiologically can't relate them hearing from somebody else that this is wrong should do something. Now, if it doesn't, you know, <laughs> that's another problem, but I definitely think that that's what, if you want to help be my ally, yes, stand right. up. If you see something, don't let somebody just get Berated. If you see a black man stop by the police and they're giving him a hard time, stay around, mm -hmm. intervene. Right. <laughs> the, the police won't kill you. Right. So, really I, you know, you have a job to do. And it's, and it's unfortunate that we as black people have been trying to teach and beg and show you that we're worthy of humanity. And it's still on, like, there has been very little shift. Right. Racism is very tricky, is what I say. It's very tricky. It, it definitely moved from overt to covert. That's fine. But it also morphs into other things. It morphs into white liberals who feel like, oh, I voted for Obama, so I can't be racist. Right. Yet you're the same one calling the police on a Black man in Central Park. Right. So it's, it's challenging yourself, reflecting on what makes you feel that thing when you walk across the street from a Black man who just happens to be walking down the street on the same side as you do a lot of self-reflection if you want to be an ally reflect give money to causes and intervene mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. kind of weird and i'm staying i'm staying as long as great <laughs> this is going on i'm gonna not talk as much matt someone asked how can we cope without lashing out or suffering in silence Ooh. I know a lot of us would like to lash out and I, I want to give people permission to feel that, you know, because I think sometimes we minimize, not sometimes, a lot of times, black men and black women, we minimize our emotion for the safety of others based on them thinking that us feeling what we feel is a threat to them. Mm -hmm. That is not okay. We need to feel what we feel and be able to express it in a way that's reflective of who we would like for, to, you know, for us to be. 
in a way that is respectful, of course, to others. I say that to say that as a black man, right, I do get angry, but I'm not the angry black man that they may have in their head about right. me. And I have to understand that and live in my truth and be able to say, hey, I'm angry, I'm upset, but I have to learn how to manage my emotions in a way that will represent me in a healthy and a respectable way. Right. I don't have to or cartel everything I do for the benefit of somebody else when I'm not even being considered, you know? And, you know, this, this mentality of, you know, turn the other cheek and, and, you know, love your enemy and all this stuff like that, that has put us in a state of trauma for so many years, you know, mm -hmm. to where we're not feeling what we feel or we're not able to express what we'd like to express only in spaces where we see each other and then our interactions become hostile, mm -hmm. right? A lot of the issues that you see amongst each other isn't necessarily from each other. In fact, I would beg to say that the majority of the issues that you see in our communities aren't based on a community issue. It's based right. on a systemic issue that the community is That's a right. part of that causes us to be in these different mental and emotional states that aren't healthy. So how do you cope? Well, we learn how to master our emotions, self-mastery, self-awareness, knowledge of self is one of those things that will definitely help you understand yourself and understand how to elevate your emotions when you need to and bring it back down when you need to. Mm -hmm. and, and, and understanding yourself, one of the first things we have to start doing is making sure that we're checking in with ourselves on a regular basis. Simple right. question. How do I feel? Right? Early in the morning, how do I feel? What's on my mind? Why do I feel what I feel? Do I want to continue to feel this way? What can I do to change this feeling? What can I do to elevate my mood? And asking these questions enough will give you access to that mental and emotional state that you would otherwise be unaware of and allow your day to continuously go by and be tossed to and fro based on not checking in with yourself and allowing the day to manage you instead of you managing your day. You know, and so as I am aware of how I'm feeling, then I can add certain things to elevate my feeling. I can add certain things to decrease my emotions if I'm too high, you know, mm -hmm. but I have to be aware of that. And then I have to be knowledge of what things I need to add. Music is one of those things that automatically change black people. Right. Right. But on a song, everybody's like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's go. Right. What time? It, you know. And so those are things that we have to understand. Aromas, textures, right. right? Colors you know, sounds, spaces, you know, a whole bunch of things that we can, that we have control over that can help us manage our mental and emotional state. But we have to start by checking in with ourselves and then understanding our emotions, then being able to advocate for yourself in a way that's assertive and not aggressive the way they think that we are, because that's not who we are. Right. That our people have never been violent and aggressive people. Right. That's been something that we've mirrored based on what we've seen over the centuries of violence that has occurred towards us. And here it is, we're living in the response of it. And then we're labeled as the bad ones. We're labeled black is evil and, and scary and, and menacing when that's not the case. You know, black right. is tranquil, black is peaceful, mm -hmm. black is, is, is a birthing, you know, space. You know, it's a it's right. a blank palette to be creative. It's so many other good things. But I think if we don't create those narratives within ourselves 
and understand how to manage those emotions, then we would eventually lash out because we, we're not in control. We're in a state of mental uh, arousal that allow us to not use our full IQ. I think we mm -hmm. talked about this before when you're in a heightened state of arousal, which a lot of us have been in. And right. so the interactions that we have are in a space that we're not necessarily utilizing our full intelligence. And so therefore we make decisions that aren't healthy. We say things that we don't necessarily mean. We act in a way that's not reflective of who we are. And then when we taper down, when we start to bring our emotions down and we start to say, oh man, I'm so sorry. That's not who I am. I, I, you know, mm -hmm. my bad, I shouldn't have said that. Because mm -hmm. when we're in a regular state, then we can communicate more effectively and express our disdain towards a lot of the things that's been happening towards us. Right, so, you know, as you're, as you're saying this, I'm thinking to myself how, in the last few weeks, I've been so overwhelmed. I've been so anxious. And my husband, every morning, he asks me, how, how are you doing this morning? Because it's a different feeling as a mother um, of four boys, a wife to a Black man. I have brothers who are also Black. I have friends who are Black. So it's, it's kind of like this feeling of being overwhelmed. So I try to kind of like protect my mental state by going off of social media, not turning on the news so I can co kind of cope and protect my mental state. But it, the question I have for you, Matthew, is there a way for us to be able to protect our mental health but while still being in the know of what's going on? Or should we just shut everything down to protect ourselves? Or does it, it may depend on the person, I guess. I would say yes and yes, right? <laughs> I'd say yes to both. There is a way that we can do that. And sometimes we do need to detach holistically, you know? I think sometimes what we fail to acknowledge is that media is, 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 is uh, entertainment. So whether it's news media, radio, whether it's journalism, it's entertainment. It's for a specific purpose. It's to create a, a, a specific perspective so that the end result is that we spend dollars. Right. right? Whether it's news, whether it's you know, magazine, whether it's radio, social media, all of it is to get that green out of our pockets into their right. pockets. And like I said, when you're in a heightened emotional state, guess what some of us do? We want to spend money. Oh, I feel bad. I need some shop therapy. You know, right. shop therapy. You go to Amazon. You know how many boxes were delivered to my house doing <laughs> Right? You know? I can relate. I can really like, like tell the truth and shame the devil. What are you talking about? No, I can't I'm, even say anything. So, so like, if if we could if we could remove ourselves out of the equation for a second, and just takes a bird eye view. If I can control, remember now, uh, understanding psychology is understanding the way people think, the way they feel, and how they behave as a result of the first two, right? So if I can get into your psyche and increase your emotions and put you on this roller coaster, then I know I can get into your dollars. I can get into your wallet and mm -hmm. create the exchange of your money into your community, uh, from your community to my to to from from your pocket to my to my community. You know, to my bank right. account. And right. you see that, like, like I, I heard an ad. And I was so, I was so offended. It was a Comcast commercial or something like, I think it was Comcast. Yes. And I'm gonna call the name. I'm gonna call it. <laughs> and they, and they had a campaign that, that I've heard before, but it, it didn't hit as hard as it hit, that it, that it hit now. And it was a campaign 
that that the person was like they're at a rally and they need better services and the person was a, a, a person who was announcing like the the, the person the moderator was giving a speech like we need better services and the uh, people were like yeah uh you know we need you know better this and people were like yeah and we need to do this so they're using the state that we're in right into an ad to control us into spending you know and i'm not saying that all you know that we can't be exposed to news but we have to make sure that the way the way we get our news is a healthy way that's not going to allow us to go in this ebb and flow of emotional right. balance you know that's not healthy when you're in constant suspended suspension emotionally you do things you interact with people you interact with yourself in ways that are unhealthy i find myself having nightmares over the past of the course of the you know a few weeks right the information i was taking it so i had to take a break from that mm -hmm. context you know and we have to start seeing things for what they are social media is just business right it's business so if we look at it that way we can have a different relationship that way news is just control right movie right. same thing you know there are so many subliminal messages and ads in movies nowadays it's not even overt anymore Right. I mean, it's not even covert anymore. It's right there in your face. Mm -hmm. See somebody drinking a Coca-Cola and it's like, look, I'm drinking a, you know, I'm drinking a Coke or I'm smoking a, you know, all right. these things are made for us to feel a particular way than to have us spin yeah. in a particular way. You know, it's right. all about control. Gatekeepers of information based on what they think we will need to spend our money. Right. I do have so, a question for you, Matt. Is that okay? So yeah. I have... You know, I do psychotherapy every other week and I'm about to up it to every week because not that like social media is where I connect, but it's, it's also where, you know, I'm scrolling Instagram and I was like, I'm not going to watch George Floyd's death. I don't want to see I that. Either. I can't, I don't even want to see pictures of the man with underneath a knee. Like, I don't want to see it. And right. then I scroll and I'm like, okay, here Diddy's playing the video. Like I just, it, you can't escape it. Right. And so I have been very consciously trying to not at least consume something like Black Death and right. in, in watching it because it stays with me. It stays mm -hmm. on me. Yeah. Um, it stays in my dreams. And I want my friends to stop sharing it. It's us that I, you know, my white people not even talking. <laughs> not, right. They're not the ones retweeting it. Okay. Right. It's my black friends. And I just, I, yes, it's messed up. I don't want to, I like, uh, so what do I do? Do I just log off? Yeah. Yes. Log off, turn it off. And here's why, right? So <laughs> these, these are uh, social media uh, platforms all of them have spent millions of dollars creating these platforms, if not billions of dollars creating these, creating these platforms to understand how we behave, right? If this was a social experiment, they would have all the information they need to know about you, right? That will allow you to interact with them in a way that they desire. Mm -hmm. And so they introduce new things. You know, when Facebook uh, introduced the Flutter when you get the likes, when you see the hearts just explode, right? Right. You know, boom, in your face, right? It's like, look at this, right? Mesmerizing. That's about control, right? And go back to this myth that we used to have back in the day when you used to watch a scary movie. Who used to die first? The black person. Why, why do you think that is? It's a message that's being told about the value of our lives, even in media. 
right? We don't consider that because we think it's just entertainment. Right. Entertainment isn't that, it's methods of control. It's being policed by a specific group of individual gatekeepers that allow certain messages to be out there. So if the source of, of, the, uh, of the news isn't a source that's specific to you, then it's not gonna pump in healthy messages about you. Mm-hmm. You won't receive a message that's healthy about you. And so for those friends who are continuously posting those things, it's not, listen, it's not just that they're posting it, it's that the social platform is making that available on your timeline. Right. Listen, I post positive stuff all the time, but nobody, nobody sees, sees it. Because <laughs> <don't see it. laughs> that's not what's getting the likes. It's, no. the, it's the black death and horror and right. the, you right. know, and the, the memes that are, you know. Uh, People are fixed on negative. Listen, conflicts sells tickets. Violence sells ads, right? Tr- drama and trauma creates ad dollars, right? The more people you can get to watch, the more ads you can put behind whatever platform you're on, which creates revenue for them, right? So if I can continuously pump in that message in your head of black death, black death, black death, double-edged sword. I'm showing you that you're not valued, but I'm also using your attention to sell you stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's okay to just turn it off. Or unfriend those Negroes, right? Yeah. Give them a fair warning. Look, like, listen, man, I, I want, you know, just could you, could you minimize that a little bit, you know? And sometimes and you, they, you can mute them out for thirty days too. Listen, like, yeah, mute them. Like, let me mute everybody. It's everybody. Let me mute, mute, mute everybody. Sometimes they go as bold as tagging you in it. Like, what, what the nerves? Why are you tagging me in this? You know, you, why, why you got to do that to me? Like, right. I don't, you know, how you. You don't know how I'm set up, right? You don't know if I can handle this right now. Right. You know? And so I would say just create uh, a heightened sense of awareness of what you can uh, take on, your capacity. Some people can handle it. Some people can't based on their capacity, based on where, you know, what they do, based on who they, like your family members, you know? Sometimes it's okay to just turn it off. You're not missing anything, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. If it's real news, somebody will call you be like, you don't want to miss this, you know, right. somebody, you know, you will find out, you know, we have access to our phones. I mean, when it's really bad news, they alert us, you know, I get right. Amber alerts all the time. I get hurricane warning, tornado warnings all the time, and I can't control that. So if it's really severe, then there are things that we should know. That was a question that I think, Joanne, you asked about introducing the kids to this. I don't know if that's right. going to in lines, right? That is a question that I wanted to know. How how do we introduce our? I mean, I have four boys. Oldest is nine, and right. this is a baby. You have kids. Melanie has kids. When is the right age for us to introduce our children to under you know some kind of understanding of what's going on? Right. So uh, this isn't a one size fit all. You know what I do for my family isn't necessarily what people should do with theirs. I'll just give a general. Uh, synopsis of what I think people should do if they have small children, what I mean that like under the age of 10, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think what our goal should be is making sure that they are aware of their true history before they get introduced to the uh, disenfranchise of their history, you know? Uh, In schools, they're already learning the lies Mm -hmm. of Christopher Columbus, Mm -hmm. you know, of George Washington, of all their greats, right? But they're right. not getting exposed to our greats, you know, uh, our Mansa Musa, you know, our um, 
Himotet, you know, and, you know, uh, ancient Kemet, you know, and all these different civilizations that were there that has clear evidence of our greatness and our royalty and our lineage and our historical contributions to this world, right? I think our job is to make sure that they are infused and have a great foundational truth and those things first mm -hmm. before they start to get exposed to some of the things that will minimize their worth, will minimize their value, will minimize um, their, their uh, trajectory in the future as well. So if I can mm -hmm. see where I came from, a clear view of how great I am in the past, then that will put me towards a history to where I can stand up and always have that essence of greatness with me everywhere that I go. So right. what we do is we make sure that our kids have that knowledge first. They don't need to be traumatized at this early age. I don't need to be exposing that, that to them right now. I have to make sure that I'm doing what I can to manage my emotions. So even when I interact with them, mm -hmm. they're not seeing me you know, right. in a space where I'm not uh, healthy mentally and emotionally. So I wanna make sure I I'm taking care of myself. We're taking care of ourselves as adults and then making sure that our interactions are healthy but making sure that they are connected to the rich history of our African heritage before they're introduced to, you know, the yeah, history of slavery, on. segregation, Jim Crow, you know, systemic oppression, prison the pipeline, you know, you know, school the pipeline, all those, you know, police brutality. They don't need to know anything about that, you know, right. now. At this like, age. At this age, you know, their right. minds are very, very fragile. And it's trauma that you're exposing them to. And trauma sets in a different memory pattern in your brain versus a regular event. So I want to make sure that they have a great foundation before I start to dissect all of the ills that's been happening to us in the history of, you know, this Western civilization. So when would you say is the right time for those who have older kids? If your kids are older and they still don't have that foundational truth, I still think that you need to find a balance with giving them that those truths first gotcha. or try to do it simultaneously because they they the older kids have exposure, you know, they have social media, they have different platforms they're on, they're exposed to the news, they can watch it on YouTube. So we still want to make sure we talk to them and allow ourselves to be the one that introduced to them what's been happening from our vantage point and not, not, not allow the narrative to be given by another perspective that doesn't have or see our value um, as they deliver those messages. Okay, so um, let's, one more question, Matt, before we wrap up here, you know, um, logging off and, you know, removing ourselves from social media is one of the examples that you gave for us to protect our mental health. Outside of that, what else can we do during these times to protect our men mental state? And, you know, while we're at, and we're at home too, we're at home, we got racial tensions going on, we got COVID-19 going on, it's a whole mess right. going on. What else can we do to protect our mental health? Wow, so here are some basic things that we can do. I think I mentioned one of the things earlier, which is we have to make sure that we're checking in with ourselves, right? <laughs> on a daily basis, multiple times, checking on ourselves because that awareness already puts you at an advantage to create change. Mm -hmm. If I know that I'm starting off my day feeling a little bit heavy because of what I saw or what I've experienced or what I've you know been exposed to, then I need to do something so that my entire day won't carry that same feeling. You know. Right. So as I check in with myself, then I have control to elevate or diminish. That's one thing. 
there are plenty of other things that we black people are really, really, really good at. We're great at changing the atmosphere in our spaces. What I mean by that is there's an essence of aura to us that we bring everywhere. Make sure that you carry that essence and that aura everywhere you go, meaning don't diminish yourself based on other people's comfort or right. discomfort. You know, we don't need to do that anymore. Bring your entire self. Yes. Bring bring your whole tribe with you. Bring your ancestors with you. Bring them in the office with you. You know, tie your hair up. Do whatever you got to do to feel connected to your true self, right? And then make sure that we get back to the things that normalize us and stabilize us. Music, right? Is one of those things. Diet, and of course, you you know, you you're an expert on that. Making sure that we're eating the appropriate things to keep our mind and our emotional state healthy. Yes. For me, automatically, when I drink juice, like fruit juice, for some reason, it changed my mood. I don't know. Yeah, you you probably got a boost of your blood sugar done gone up. Juice, That's right? I know, right? Right there. <laughs> Not necessarily good. Oh man, like crisp apple juice does something to me, right? You know? And so even knowing that, I like I keep some in my refrigerator at my office because I know that's a mood stabilizer for me, you know? Fresh apple juice, oh, I'm in paradise, right? So knowing these small things that you can add to the equation, I have a record player in my office as well, right? I take some time between clients and I dance, right? Mm-hmm. Can't really dance, but I still dance, right? right? I make sure I'm still connected to the people that I want to be connected to. For the people in my life that bring negative energy, I create healthy boundaries in my life, right? Being able to say no, learning my capacity and not going beyond my capacity, because I know sometimes that we are resilient and we are great and we're strong. And sometimes we go, go, go and not give ourselves a break. I had to shut my office down for two days last week because I wasn't in the right frame of mind. That's okay. Be okay with not being okay. Mm -hmm. Take the space that you need. If you need appropriate mental health professional help, go get that. Don't feel like that's a, 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 a something that will minimize your worth or minimize right. you or make you feel crazy. No, that's not what that is. That is making sure that you, you can still attest to your value. Things that we value, we take care of, we invest in. And so you are the most valuable asset that you have. So take care of it, maintain it, right. and elevate it by making sure you tap into the appropriate uh professional help. And one of the last things that, that, that has been a joy for my life is make sure that we see each other, you know, make sure that we see each other and acknowledge each other in the, in the sea of, 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 of chaos, just right. locking eyes with another black or brown person and acknowledging that person goes a very long way, not just for that person, but for you as well. Right. When I drive to my office, I, I take the scenic route, you know, through the neighborhoods and I'm just honking my horn at any brother I see or any <laughs> I see down the street. They don't know me. I don't know them, but they all, they, they always feel it. I'd be like, what's going on, brother? They'd be like, hey, what's happening? Right. Automatically, it changes your mental and emotional state to be acknowledged, to be acknowledged visibly, to be acknowledged verbally, to tell somebody I see you, to tell right. somebody, hey, how you doing? It affirms them and it makes them feel connected and it makes them feel like they're a part of a village, a part of a collective, and that creates safety. And so see each other, acknowledge each other, and create some type of, you know, um, village mentality back into in, in, in our spheres of influences. Right. 
Well, thank you, Matt. That I'm going to take every single word that you just said here for myself because of how overwhelmed and anxious I've been feeling the last few weeks. And I, I need any kind of coping skills. I need any of that in my life for me to be, get through my day to day. And just you affirming that it's okay for me to not feel okay. Right. You no, know, from a mental health expert to me, I, I like to hear that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Melody, any last words for us? Um, you know, I just say it's we're, we're not alone. Oh, okay. We're, let's say we're not alone either, right? So, if you're feeling a certain kind of way and you in in your job, it's okay to take time off, right? Tell them why. If it's like, hey, it's becoming too much. Right. I think being open, open and honest and telling your truth, but doing it, Matt said it so eloquently when I was saying like, hold, like not to be over emotional, however you said it was exactly what I was like, yes, you just used the right words. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's making sure that you have passion and you're honest, but you're not overreacting with right. your expression, not overreacting. That's not the right word that you're not, oh, I don't know, oversharing your expression because uh-huh it will not be received. So you have a, get, get your crew, get your allies internally, get your affinity group, create your list of demands, take some time off. And you know, that's it. I say, somebody said on here that Mm -hmm. they're not trying to be, I'm not really trying to be part of your crew. I just want to see, you know, Oh yeah. Okay. I saw that comment. I think that that was the white crew. Right. But I'm saying the crew of you have your black internal connecting people that you can right. you know, that you can your allies that are black within the company who will in each organization or in each part of the org chart can look out for you or look out for each other. That's the crew you need. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I saw that comment too. So I, I think that's what it meant. Mm-hmm. So Melanie, let everyone know how they can reach you for your expertise specifically in these times um you could see i okay i'm like i'm full i'm not (laughs) i'm tapped i'm full no no i'm not full um i would say shoot find me on linkedin that's probably the easiest fastest way to get me professionally Um, my email address is melanie at yardstickmanagement.com and uh social media i kind of you know yeah, I don't, I don't. I think professionally, I I use social media very personally. So find right. me on LinkedIn. Okay. What about you, Matt? Let everyone know how they can reach you and how they can reach Beachstone Counseling. So uh, let me thank you guys again for having me. I've, I I really do enjoy these conversations to share and to listen. Man, I love listening and hearing all the different ways that we can assist each other, be there for each other. So thank you for yeah. that. Uh, you guys can find me on all social platforms uh, at Matt Genius, M-A-T-J-E-A-N-I-U-S. And uh, on Matt Genius, you can find all the other pages <laughs> that I have, which is Beatstone Counseling, Sober Words, which I'm wearing the apparel right now. Um, you can find the Sober Words web, um, website as well on the Sober Words platform. Uh, there's also Hip Hop and Therapy, which is a page that I talk about, you know, different hip hop artists and their music and how they have been you know, crying out for help on some occasions or speaking up about different mental health issues that they've been having and you know, some unhealthy and healthy ways that they've been addressing them as well. 
so people can check that out as well. And for the most, the most important part right now is the documentary that I'm working on. I need support for that. I need financial support, of course, and I need other support, connections, uh, you know, just people just checking up on me because it's a heavy endeavor. Uh, and so if they can go to my Matt Genius page, they will see the link, the Kickstarter link in there. Go check out the Kickstarter page. If you can help donate a dollar, $5, $10, it can go a very long way. We need to tell our story so that history won't repeat itself. Right. Thank you again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Melanie. This has been amazing. Um, you guys giving us some insight into everything that's going on. Um, this is Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. As you guys all know, Kim was not able to make it tonight. You can find myself at Wonderfully Nutritious on Instagram, and you can find Kim at Kim Rose Dietitian on Instagram as well. Um, don't forget to listen into our podcast, which is Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. You can find us on um, iTunes and Spotify and the Apple Podcasts. Um, if you guys have any questions for me specifically dietary wise, this is where you can reach me in regards to, because it's all about a whole health look to be, to, to actually live a less healthy lifestyle. It's the mental state. It's the, it's the, um, actual physiological state. So it's all, you know, all needed for us to live a healthy lifestyle. So you can find us, um, Kim or myself, if you have any dietary questions that you um, you want to ask us. And thank you guys. Thank you, you two, for being on here um, and teaching everyone everything, you know, all the questions that, that were asked, we, we answered them. And I will see everyone later. All right. Bye, guys. Thank Bye. you so much. I appreciate it. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As usual, remember to subscribe, give us five stars, and also share this episode. It is important that you rate us and that you also write us a review because that's how individuals find out about Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. And as you can see, we are discussing important topics as they are going on today. We thank you for listening and hope to see you next week. Bye.